So we are in the information age. We are in the era where all of this info is at the tip of our fingers at any given time. And this is both a blessing and a curse. We are bombarded with a lot of different info out there, and it's hard to understand what's real and what's not, especially when we hear the same type of info repeated over and over. We see subliminal marketing messages all the time. And so a lot of this, as a sex educator, can make me pretty peeved. I'll see videos about things to do to strengthen and tighten your vagina that are just totally unsafe, or people selling natural products to disguise your vaginal odor. And it's it sucks because it's just kind of this generation's version of like Summer's Eve commercials at nighttime or Benoit balls from the early 2000s being the cure to everything. It's always kind of the same info regurgitated to make us question what we know about our own bodies. Not to mention that the lack of comprehensive sex ed leaves us with a lot of questions about what's really going on down there. I also want to say that it's pretty much set up this way in a lot of school systems and a lot of cultures, but especially like I grew up in America and it was very much set up this way that critical thinking skills are not always encouraged in terms of sexual education or health education for that matter. You're kind of just taught one thing and it's not supposed to be questioned or you're not really supposed to have those conversations and so it doesn't leave room for critical thinking. Then it bleeds into when we see YouTube videos about how I got rid of all of my discharge or whatever and it's like, are people supposed to not have any? And you start to question, but you're not really sure where to find the right answers. Googling can disappoint us also because do we really believe something on a Reddit forum or Mayo Clinic? <laughs> it's hard for a lot of people to not trust the info also when they can't find solutions to their problems. So they do turn to forums and someone says, well, I got rid of my BV by taking a salt bath every night and now it's gone. This faceless person might be right. Maybe that did help them, but it's hard also when you don't have access to healthcare and your doctor might be expensive and routine visits might start to add up and you get BV all the time. You might be wondering, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just get rid of it? What if it's not really BV to begin with? There are a lot of lies that are told about the vagina and a lot of lies that we believe about them. And I <laughs> believed some of these myself. And there's nothing wrong with us. We didn't, we're not dumb for falling for it. We're not idiots for not having the critical thinking skills. We're, it's set up this way. I'm born in America. I was raised there and I lived there for 23 years. I remember being taught that you know, vaginas do X, Y, Z and nothing really about how they're supposed to smell or how the smell is supposed to really be. This is something that's a vital piece of information for a lot of people. I thought it was time to create a little series called Lies About the Vagina. This will be a multi-episode series, but they won't necessarily be in order. And don't worry, I will also be doing a lies about the penis at one point too. 
I thought it was important to also note that not everyone with a vagina identifies as a woman. And so even if I might be quoting research that says women, this is definitely an outdated thing. And people that are non-binary, people that identify as a man or as anything else, I mean, vagina does not necessarily equal woman. I also want to mention that just because it's about lies about the vagina, I'm also going to be talking about the vulva, the cervix, the rest of the reproductive system, like the uterus and ovaries at some point maybe, but it'll be a little bit more vagina focused than the rest of my work because this word is considered a dirty word a lot of the time. It's also kind of a catch-all in society for the entire reproductive system, and it shouldn't be, but I'm going to try to challenge that as well. So lie number one, all and any vaginal odors are a problem. I'm your host, Birna, and I'm a sex educator who is passionate about topics at the intersection of health, culture, and sexuality. I'll answer any of your questions ranging from the health-related to the raunchy. This is Beyond the Bedroom. So yeah, the idea, this lie, this myth we perpetuate that any vaginal odor is bad. It can swing in two directions because some of you might be like, wait, 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 I know that vaginal odor can be the sign of a problem. Yes, you are absolutely correct. However, I've seen messages that are like, embrace all of your odors. The vagina should not always smell good. Like this is normal. And yeah, vaginitis can have a smell. But then I've also seen it swing in the other direction where it's like, notice that any odor is the sign of an issue. You should go immediately to the doctor. And there's not a lot of nuance there in between sometimes. So I'm here to dispel this myth. So according to some research that I found through Dr. Jen Gunter, two thirds of a time when somebody goes to the office of a healthcare professional or a gynecologist for an odor, a medically treatable cause for the odor will be present. So common reasons are like bacterial vaginosis, trichomoniasis, or general urinal syndrome of menopause. I personally want to add that since GSM is a factor, those with low estrogen or on hormone therapy might experience this as well. But one third of a time, the results and the workup will be normal. But that doesn't mean that you're making up the odor in your head or that it's a totally normal one for you. It just means that the odor isn't medically abnormal or something treatable with like an antibiotic or an antifungal or some type of medical treatment. So what happens when the results come out normal and your doctor doesn't want to treat you for anything? I first want to preface by saying that vaginal odor is very personal. So everyone has a personal smell, like a sweat smell. Like there's even some research that shows that each one of our feet has a different smell, which is so interesting. Everyone's hair smells different. And so everyone's vagina smells a little bit different depending on their microbiome, their hormone levels, maybe their diet, and then also lifestyle factors like sleep, stress, smoking, and other medical conditions like diabetes, pregnancy, etc. 
So everyone has a personal smell and the smell also changes throughout the menstrual cycle. So you might notice that you smell differently when you're ovulating versus obviously you might smell different when you're menstruating and also right before menstruation, right after. But there's always kind of like a underlying personal smell that you might know as your own. That being said, some of us notice something different and run to the doctor when that might not necessarily be the sign of something wrong and it just requires getting to know our personal smells a little bit better. So if the results are negative and it's something that might come up often or something you just know like this is not the way I usually smell and I just feel like something's wrong. A recent use of antibiotics, antifungals, something like overcleaning, like scrubbing the vulva or douching, using stuff like fragrance, deodorant, they can all change the odor. And it sounds counterintuitive, I know, that using something with deodorizing properties or fragrance will change it for the worse, maybe, sometimes. But it's true, <laughs> and... A lot of these companies, if you notice, will sell products marketed towards eliminating or removing odor, and then that same company will sell a yeast infection medication over the counter as well. So that's really interesting to me because they are creating a problem and then selling the solution. Not to get super like big pharma conspiracy on you, but a lot of gynecologists actually speak up about this and tell people to stay away from products meant to deodorize the the inside of the vagina for example or or the sensitive skins of, of the vulva because they're not made with your well-being in mind a lot of people are still told to douche the vagina and they usually use something chemically latent or even stuff like vinegar or even a very like weak chemical solution and mostly water all of these though are not not safe for your pH. The only cases that I recommend douching are, for example, people who have gotten bottom surgery, like trans women who need to douche their vaginas because they don't maybe self-lubricate or self-clean in the same way that we do and that their doctor recommended a douche and it's a it's a medically different one. It's not one that you maybe buy in the grocery store. It's one that you might get from a healthcare provider and it's way more gentle on your mucous membranes than something that's fragrant and chemically laden. So that's why I don't like to say no women should douche because one, not every woman has a vagina, but also there are some women, there's trans women who who actually might benefit from douching. But for the most part, if you're a cis woman, you should not be douching if you're not told by a medical provider. But also if you notice an odor, you don't necessarily have to get rid of it. Vaginal odor is normal. It is a part of our body. It is an entrance to our inner bodies. And so it's going to have a bodily odor. That being said, in terms of body odor like sweat, our outer labia and groin have sweat glands and the inner labia and the vestibule, which is like the area with your vaginal opening and kind of like the inner, inner labia area, 
they don't have sweat glands. So wearing stuff like polyester garments like underwear or tights can sometimes make the smell more pungent or can kind of make it stick to the skin. So if you're noticing like after a workout, even after you shower, you kind of have that smell still, try just switching to either cotton underwear or leggings or some type of breathable material because it doesn't necessarily have to be cotton in order for it to be breathable, but there are known materials that can be problematic like polyester and spandex. Also just changing out of your clothes right away might help, but then again, a lot of this is just about the outer vulva area. That's the smell. It's not necessarily your vaginal odor. And I've heard this claim a lot too. So this is like a little mini myth busters here for me that like, oh, wearing a wet swimsuit or wearing a, you know, workout clothes for a long time will give you a like vaginal condition. That's not a hundred percent true. So it's mostly affecting your vulva, which can in turn affect your vagina. But it doesn't work the way a lot of people might think. So if you're irritated by the material that's either brushing against your vulva or like the dampness of your clothes is irritating your vulva, this can cause either yeast to, you know, start to form more on the vulva and it can also lead to irritation that causes like itching, sweat being stuck to our skin and that bacteria eating up the sweat and making it smell more, etc. It doesn't necessarily just like make your vagina super vulnerable to some type of major infection. The hypervigilance that like your vagina is the super, super sensitive thing. You know, it's, it's like a lot of gynecologists will say, I'm getting people into my office that are just more worried that they have an issue than actually like presenting with symptoms. And in the cases of compassionate care, then you should go through this with the patient and, and kind of differentiate like the possible symptoms with the ones that they're actually feeling. And this just is, you know, a lot of this is involved with being present in your body, staying grounded. There are a lot of people that are very afraid of getting some type of vaginal issue and it makes sense why. I mean, they're painful. They can interfere with our daily lives. They can make us even like stay home from work. If you already have something like vulvodynia, endometriosis, etc., it can just be like the cherry on top of that day. And the like just we don't have the patience for it a lot of the time. So I understand why a lot of people are hypervigilant. There's also a lot of things that can irritate the vagina, definitely. But the idea that like well, if you sit in your bathing suit for an hour, then your vagina will be super upset. That's something that can actually cause pelvic floor tension and stress because you might be sitting in your wet bathing suit and you're like, oh my God, I'm about to get a yeast infection. And you might clench down in your pelvis and then you'll come home and be like, oh, I feel pressure. I feel pain. I might be itchy on the outside. I must have a yeast infection. I should go down to the store, get some metronosidol or antifungal, pop it in there just to make sure. Preventative measure that actually might be doing more harm than good. You might not have needed that antifungal and now you have another issue, but you might be like, oh, well, it's probably just part of the yeast infection. It's a cycle that a lot of us are in. I was in it for a long time. A lot of you don't know that I had chronic UTIs because I have a kidney issue. It's actually a birth defect called a dual collecting system or dual collection system where I have two tubes on one of my kidneys 
and I get this thing called, I think it's called urine reflux, where the waste expelled from my kidney might go back into my kidney. And I can't control it really, except for taking preventative measures. So like a tiny little preventative antibiotic. And I definitely was in this loop, right? So a lot of this is about knowing your body without going into hypervigilance territory, which is so much easier said than done. And I say that a lot in my podcast, but this is not something that we can just like reverse by one day waking up and being like, okay, well, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. A lot of us worry because that's the way that we're trying to keep our immune system safe. It's something like, I don't want to go get a pelvic exam. I'm dreading that. And so we, we do these things because we're trying to take care. We've learned them maybe from the internet or from another person in our life who told us that's what they do. So I also want to touch on, because I mentioned earlier about the products that are deodorizing it's not just the big companies that you know our moms or our grandmas aunties whatever used it's also this new wave of people like the etsy stores selling vaginal products that are supposed to be you know make your vagina taste like cotton candy or whatever first of all we have no understanding of how these products might be made. Are they in a sanitary, commercially safe manufacturing plant? Probably not. They're probably made in somebody's kitchen. And although they might try to be very sanitary, there are a lot of cases of issues because of the method they were made. They are not necessarily regulated by any agency. And They might have chemicals or even if they're natural, it doesn't necessarily mean it's safe for your vagina. And not all natural products are created the same. There are some that are actually very helpful. And the chronic UTI issue that I mentioned earlier, one of the things that actually helped was a salve from a company called Momotero. And Before I used it, I brought it to my gynecologist and she was saying, okay, yeah, these ingredients seem safe. Just don't use it internally, but on the vulva a little bit must be fine. And if it helps either your vulvodynia or your UTIs, then that's great. If you notice an irritation, stop using it. The only issue I might have with this is that it has tea tree oil. So just test patch it first. So I did, I tested it. I don't have a super sensitivity to tea tree. I don't need to take my preventative antibiotic anymore. So that's one of those cases where it's a natural product that is made in a sterile and and sanitized environment. It's a more legitimate enterprise than maybe somebody online selling sugar pills basically for your vagina. And there's a little bit of, there's a little level of like critical thinking there where you're like, okay, I need to test it because I was about to just like use it. And I know that sounds really silly coming from a sex educator, but when you're desperate, you'll try anything. And it really has helped. And now I don't need to use it as much, but not all natural products are made equally. And also some will help some people and some might make things worse for others. So I also like about this product is that it doesn't, also this is definitely not an ad. I know that company pretty well, but I, I'm, I'm not like affiliated with them financially or anything. I just, this worked for me. And if it works for other people, that would be amazing. But always ask a healthcare provider first and test patch, always. 
But I like that it doesn't have any type of like smell that's like flowers or vanilla or whatever. It just, it's like oily. Like it almost kind of smells just like tea tree and coconut oil. Like it's very just natural smelling. And I liked that about it too. It's like, I'm not trying to mask anything or cover anything up. I'm just trying to heal. And that's the mindset change that pretty much saved my hypervigilant cycle. I'm doing things to heal, not to make any issue worse with stress. So like I mentioned earlier, an STI like trichomoniasis, uh, a vaginitis or a bacterial vaginosis can be the cause of an odor that might be a little off from what you're used to, or it might smell kind of like bad to you. That's okay. You might just have to go to the gynecologist. Something like genitourinary syndrome of menopause I touched on earlier. It's a syndrome that is caused by your dropping estrogen levels. And then DIV, which is also a vaginitis caused by an overgrowth of bacteria, skin conditions, maybe a forgotten tampon or something. These are all things that your gynecologist might talk to you about if you're having a vaginal odor. But I also want to mention that long-term hormonal contraception without estrogen could be the cause of your vaginal odor changing. So not a bad smell per se, but just different from what you're used to. So Depo-Provera, progestin-only birth control, the implants like Nexplanon, some hormonal IUDs. Again, not a bad odor, just different. And these hormonal medications might affect your vaginal glycogen, which messes with your good bacteria. So if you notice, I just smell different. It's not bad. It's just like, I just don't smell like myself. I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. I've gotten rid of fragrances and I feel like I'm doing everything right and I just smell different. It might be your hormonal birth control. This is not necessarily a reason to stop taking your contraception if it's working for you. It's just something that might put you more at ease. Like, oh, Okay, that makes sense. That's why I smell different. It's not some type of horrible infection that I can't get to the bottom of. It might just be this. So that's also something if you want to bring that up with a healthcare provider, they can help maybe put you more at ease about. Spermicide, which is often found in condoms, can also cause a different vaginal odor. Any kind of reaction or irritation from a chemical can also cause similar, which is also like, I I talk about this kind of often, but a lot of us don't know necessarily what's in the condoms that we're using. And so if we switch brands, we might have a reaction and we might not realize that it was because of the condom. And we might be like, oh, I might, I must have something going on and get into that cycle again of stress. So just make sure your condoms don't have spermicide. Spermicide was more common back when people used cervical caps or diaphragms as contraception because you would put spermicide in there as well. So that's kind of gone out of fashion, so to speak. But in case you are using spermicide for any reason, maybe it might be messing with your vaginal pH. So don't use medical treatments without a diagnosis. I just want to make sure people know that, that I'm definitely not an advocate for like going out and getting like there's there are people that get antibiotics on a black market because they don't trust their doctors. I understand where you're coming from. It can be hard when a doctor who isn't compassionate says it's all in your head. 
but you might be doing more harm than good. So just if it's available to you, I know there's a lot of like telehealth services and a lot of them do accept insurance. There's also places that have a sliding scale like Planned Parenthood if you're in America or like the National Health Service in the UK that have either free or low cost options for just consultations. So if you have a question, you can talk to somebody and hopefully they'll give you some solace in terms of is this safe or not for me. Some other things, pubic hair is part of odor dispersal. So if you're newly grooming or doing it again after a long time, you might notice a little bit of change. I remember getting a Brazilian wax for the first time after like a long time of not doing it. And I was like, oh my God, do I have an infection? But because it wasn't a bad smell, but I was so aware of any change. And then I was like, I think I probably do. This is because I was irritated from wearing tight underwear after getting a Brazilian. And obviously odor dispersal was different from what I was used to. And so I was just smelling my vaginal odor more because yes, like pubic hair can actually make the smell lessen. And that's just another thing that we don't really talk about very much. If you smoke cigarettes or you just started again, you might want to consider quitting. It's something that a lot of people with chronic BV might not consider. And even if they are like a social smoker, if you're smoking then like every weekend, that's technically considered being a smoker. So Sometimes our vaginal odor can smell kind of sickly sweet, and this can be from a period coming early or from some kind of kidney or blood sugar issue. So most of the time people notice the smell either when their period is pretty early. And for those of you who know the smell, you definitely know what I'm talking about. It's like sickly sweet, like it smells so sweet and it's personal. And most of the time, other people around you will not be able to smell this. It's a personal smell. We just notice it more because we're in our bodies. But some other reason that you might have this is if you started a combination hormonal contraceptive, sometimes our vaginal odor can smell kind of heavy with musk. This can be after a long day or having an orgasm or sexual activity. It doesn't have to be a bad smell. And some people actually kind of like it, which is really funny that we're always like, get rid of all the smell. And some people actually are into it even subconsciously. So this is usually just something that happens also if you are ovulating or just stopped ovulating. If you're a person who ovulates because your cervical mucus becomes like that egg white consistency and then it starts to thicken up again to signify we're done ovulating we don't need to let sperm go all the way up there anymore so you might have an orgasm and notice that you have a lot more mucus or discharge or just that general feeling of wetness might be more that's just a normal ebb and flow of your menstrual cycle it might have an odor to it and it might not be a bad odor it's just more than what you're used to and that makes sense because thicker or more discharge is coming out of you during that time sometimes the vagina is fishy even without a bacterial vaginosis or trichomoniasis diagnosis also just want to mention if you don't know what trichomoniasis is it's often called a parasite, but it's it's not. It's a parasitic infection. It's considered an, a sexually transmitted infection and it loves living right at the top of the vagina and it can cause inflammation. It can cause a very distinct vaginal odor and it is usually spread through penis and vagina sex. 
So in that case, if you don't have that, you don't have bacterial vaginosis, you've been to a healthcare provider, they they tell you you don't have any type of infection that they can see, you know, this this might just be because your pH has been thrown off by something. And a very common culprit is ejaculate. Some people, when they get ejaculate in their vagina, it can smell really fishy. They don't necessarily have enough of a problem to be treated for bacterial vaginosis, but they notice it and they're uncomfortable. And men or other partners, for example, might make a comment about the smell And they are the ones that might have ejaculated in them and made that happen. So I also think that it's really interesting that we shift all the blame on the vagina owner. And it's like, maybe we should have a conversation about what ejaculate really does to the environment inside of our vagina. So just a little food for thought there. If your vagina smells very pungent or oniony, it could just be leftover period or spotting, that irony smell too. But it could also be vaginal dryness. So people usually just assume that the more discharge, the more smell. But actually, dryness, vaginal dryness can cause an odor or change your natural odor. So again, if you're on hormonal contraception or hormone therapy, you're starting menopause. Puberty also can cause vaginal dryness in some cases pregnancy, mostly like postpartum, also that drop in estrogen in your cycle. If you are a low estrogen person, all of this can cause vaginal dryness and there's nothing wrong with having vaginal dryness. I know that like having a WAP is super in right now, but it's okay if you don't. Some people also are just naturally more dry or they take, you know, some SSRIs can cause it. Some allergy medications can cause dryness. Like I said earlier, hormonal contraception, you know, and then also the kind of that like heavier smell. Sometimes yeast infections can have that odor. People are always like, if you're, if there's no odor, but there's itching, it's 100% yeast infection. Not true. There are so many other culprits for vulvar itching, vaginal itching. Yeast infections can indeed have a smell. Yeast infections also for some people don't itch, which is really interesting. And even if you do have yeast present in the vagina, it does not mean you have what's considered medically a yeast infection. So there's a lot of things to keep in mind. So why is this so important to talk about? Why am I sitting here for 30 minutes talking about vaginal odor? It's because we are told that vaginal odor, all of it is bad. And I'm not exaggerating. If you don't have a vagina and you're listening to this, you might not believe me and that's okay. Just try to imagine that you have a part of your body that has an impossible purity standard. I'm talking, it has to be clean, groomed, ready for sex, particularly penetration, at all times, basically. And this is a concept that's definitely being challenged. And I'm so happy that it is because people might not realize this, but the whole vaginal odor being bad, no matter what odor it is, is tied to purity standards. The vagina should be clean, fresh, fresh as a daisy, smell like and taste like heaven, right? There's also this idea like, oh, you should eat pineapple or drink cranberry juice because it can make your vagina taste better. Like I mentioned earlier, it's more about what's going on in your bloodstream. So if you're eating cans of pineapple but smoking cigarettes, it's it's not necessarily going to do anything. 
there's also this idea of what's going through your digestive tract does impact your bloodstream, but does it really make it into the vaginal secretions? And Unfortunately, a lot of research on the vagina is very underfunded and it's understudied compared to a lot of other parts of the medical history. A lot of research on vaginas is done in postmenopausal women and a lot of studies in general on women's health is in postmenopausal women. So I would really like to see more studies done on people with vaginas who might be younger than menopausal age. Trans men also, they have a lot of very specific vaginal issues if they have not gotten bottom surgery because they are on hormonal medication a lot of the times, hormonal therapies that really do change their vaginal microbiome. And there can be a lot of dysphoria or dysphoric sensations about going to the gynecologist. So I think there's a lot of research that's needed in this field in terms of the different types of people and their identities that happen to have a vagina. And we definitely need to get this purity culture out of our heads. And for that matter, out of our vaginas. I'll get really candid. I usually don't notice anything different in my vaginal odor. I think odor is such a like ugly word, but it's just like body smell. I don't have a super pungent one unless I have just finished my period or if I'm ovulating, I might smell more like me, a little stronger than usual. This is normal. If I notice like, oh, I'm a little fishy, I just evaluate what products I've been using or what type of behavior I've been engaging in. I try not to be hypervigilant. If it's fishy for like a day or two and no accompanying pain or itchiness and it goes away on its own, it, to be honest, is probably like ejaculate or some type of like lube I'm testing that just irritated me. Doesn't necessarily have to snowball into bacterial vaginosis. I also sometimes notice an odor if I am going through hormonal issues, which I have some hormonal imbalances. And another example of a natural product that actually is safe and effective for me is one that's developed by doctors here in Iceland. It's this little ovule that has aloe vera and hyaluronic acid, and it is vaginal safe completely. It's from a company here in Iceland called, I think it's called Leonis, but I can double check that. And it's great for people with vaginal dryness from low estrogen. I never use anything to like get rid of a smell. I wash my vulva with water, sometimes with a pH cleanser that I've proven doesn't irritate me. I just try to not worry unless there's something actually going on. If I hook up with someone else who has a vagina, maybe I might smell like them for a little bit, like like a day or so or two, especially like if you know, and some people might get a bit grossed out by this, but that's okay. We're learning and we're talking. If I am hooking up with someone who just ended their period and we might be like in a long-term relationship, we might be sharing a toy or something, which I don't super recommend in general, but that's a convo for a different day. I might smell like them for a little bit. This is normal. It's part of the human experience. It doesn't necessarily mean you did something bad or wrong. And if it happens, it's okay. 
Some people actually will be grown enough to admit that they like your smell. It turns them on. This is normal also. We see a lot of this like, oh, you just have to grow up and be mature. I think it's just more of a, it's more of an information issue. It's more of a like with time you'll learn issue. It doesn't necessarily mean you're like more mature, but it's it's just like a, you might just not have that experience yet, but also it might just be like you just have never heard someone say vaginal odor is normal. So I will be continuing this series. Like I said, it won't be in a row, but vaginal myths that I will dispel. It's my favorite topic, as you can tell. So lies about the vagina will continue and I'm so excited about it. And if you want to learn more about my work, if you want to get in touch with me, if you want to just check out what I'm up to, you can go to my website, birna.net or my Instagram. Feel free to DM me. It's at bbirna. 